Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm out here doing a parish mission. Uh, this is the Holy Hour of Power, the Terry and Jesse show. By the way, uh, as, as Catholics, remember, this is the month of February. It's dedicated to the Holy Family. And this special devotion began in the 17th century. This proposes the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as the model of virtue of all Christian households. And Pope Leo XIII, he really spread this devotion in 1893. And we also know that the Egyptian Christians, both Catholics and Orthodox, they also, from very early times, they also have the Feast of the Holy Family. It's observed over in Egypt as a result of the fact that the Holy Family went out there to Cairo, Egypt, when they fled Herod, the brother. So, a uh, couple of things we're going to be talking about today. Yes. Uh, did you know that there was a Latin Mass that was yeah. held at the U.S. Capitol? <laughs> we're going to be talking about that. Terry, how are you, my friend? I'm blessed, Jesse. And yeah, we got some great topics today. Not only that, some pre few research uh, yeah. facts about atheists, eight facts about atheists. Yep. We're going to close out on them. Good news of the five first Saturday devotions. What's that all about? Reparation, things like that. But Jesse, uh, just a good to know file. I thought this was pretty amazing when I think about it. A Catholic priest and six other Protestants were arrested in India under this draconian anti-conversion oh. law. In other words, they're being arrested because they're telling Hindus, uh, you know, about Jesus Christ. And this is still going on in our world today. Can you imagine, Jesse, you and I getting arrested in America because we're teaching people about Jesus? I, I mean, this is happening in the happen. India. It can happen. And so there's one story. It can happen. Also, this is an interesting one, Jesse. El Salvador pro-life president wins re-election. Here's what I thought was interesting. This guy, you know, is a pro, pro-life pro uh, Catholic man, from what I understand. And they were having all kinds of problems in that Central American country with gangs. And uh, I, oh, yeah. I don't think he's a policeman, but somebody gave him good advice. What he did, Jesse, is he imprisoned 72,000 gang members and drug peddlers. And uh, <clears throat> what's interesting, Jesse, <laughs> homicide rate uh, went way, way down, almost to nothing. Uh, because he put these guys in jail, and it made it difficult for them to to um, commit their crimes. And I know a lot of people were upset at him, but I, I got to think that um, you're only talking about 6.5 million people in the country. But um, he got 53% of the electoral vote, and um, he just has like he has characteristics of a Trump from wow. what people have been saying about him. He just he says, "Hey, this is what's got to be done," and. Uh, Here's what yeah. we're going to do. So I thought it was a good news. Correct. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah, I got a couple of also items. Yeah, Elon Musk yeah. has claimed that the Biden administration is looking the other way as thousands of migrants illegally stream across the border because it wants to stack Democrat voter polls before Election Day. So uh, Elon Musk took to a social media X over the weekend yeah. where they – Bet you didn't know post accusing the White House of the migrant turned voter scam as Biden gears up for an expected nail biter between himself and Donald Trump. Wow. Also, a federal judge on Wednesday dismissed Disney's lawsuit against Rep Republican Florida Ron DeSantis. <clears throat> the federal court's decision made it clear that Governor DeSantis was correct. So, uh, uh, that's that's good news. Also, Mark Houck, 
candidacy picks up steam. One year that. after he was acquitted of, yeah, one year after he was acquitted of violating the freedom of access to clinic entrances, the FACE Act, Catholic pro-life activist Mark Houck is gaining momentum in his run for a U.S. House Senate seat. Houck this week won the Republican committee vote for two local districts, placing him closer to scoring a stunning upset over his opponent. Also, Dad sues school district for trying to transition daughter. Yeah. A widowed single father filed against a New Jersey school district district that he alleges transitioned his minor daughter behind his back. A pro-LGBT student club's staff advisor told colleagues at the school to refer to the girl by a male name and male pronouns and not tell her father. And finally, the churches that count. The Biden Justice Department fervently prosecuted a man who attempted to attack a church for hosting a drag queen event. This uh, this man will spend the next 18 years uh, behind bars. Uh, and Catholic Vogue's Erica Hearn asks, is that same fervor applied to all cases of church vandalism? Hmm, <laughs> Good I don't question. think so. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, Jeff. Unbelievable. So, uh, well, some little bit of soul food, Terry. Yes, bring it on, brother. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Jesus left the district of Tyre. That was, by, that was, by the way, a pagan city, Tyre. And he went, by the way, to Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee, into the dis district of Decapolis. Decapolis, that means the 10 cities around Galilee. That's what Decapolis means. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on them. He took he took him off by himself away from the crowd. He put his finger into the man's ears and spitting, touched his tongue. Then he looked up to heaven and, and groaned and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were open, his speech impediment was removed, and he spoke plainly. He ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished. And they said, he has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Something interesting about today's gospel, Terry, is uh, the, fact, the, the fact that the majority of people, based on Jesus' words, are going to go to eternal damnation right. because they follow that wide path. Right. And I'll tell you why it is. is because their ears are closed to the gospel and their mouth is closed off to a life of prayer. And so that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. What he did to this man, he wants to do to the whole world. He wants everybody to be able to hear the gospel. This is why Jesus is always saying in the gospel, he who has ears ought to hear. He not only came to, 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 to heal physical maladies of the ear, he came more importantly to heal spiritual maladies of the ear people who can't spiritually see and discern and, and embrace the gospel and also the mouth. This person that couldn't speak, Jesus Christ also heals his mouth. Now he's able to speak. Well, that's exactly what God wants all of us to do. God doesn't want anybody to be mute, but what does he want from us? He wants us to speak and proclaim the word of God. And that's why the Bible says that at the end of time in Matthew chapter 12, everybody will be judged by every word that came out of their mouth. Every word that came out of your mouth, it will all be weighed before the balance of Jesus Christ and his holy tribunal. Well said. 
Let's bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Bishop Sheen talks about sin. He says, nobody likes to hear the word sin anymore. But we will begin to be happier when we realize that maybe most of our troubles come from the fact that we are sinners. Uh, those who say that sin begets a guilt complex hope to scare the cure away by name-calling. Because a person is sick and asks for a physician, does he have a sickness complex? <laughs> I love the logic mm. of Bishop Str Bishop, Str Bishop Fulton Sheen. Yeah. Bottom line is, Jesse, that is the big problem of today. We Whatever happened to the sense of sin, we've lost it. We we actually have lost it to a point where now we're even saying, hey, there's no no reason to repent and believe in the gospel like Mark said. It's just God assumes that you're going to go to heaven. So it's just the opposite of what the Bible says. But we hear people dressed with collars saying, don't worry about this repentant stuff. God loves you so much. You know, you get to heaven. We hear about people who've come to me or to Jesse and asked for advice. And how many of them have told you, Jesse, well, the priest said it's okay for me to be living with my girlfriend. Because I love her. I've heard that and I've said, no, it's mm -hmm. not. No, it's mm -hmm. not. Because, oh, yeah. But this is the yep. problem. We need to go back to what I call a, a world biblical view of sin. Yeah. Uh, and Pope John Paul II, he, yeah. he told us many years ago yeah. that the problem with people here on earth today is that they've lost their sense of sin. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and in the Bible, in Jonah chapter 3, I think it's verse 11, Jonah the prophet, he says about the people in Assyria, he says, they have lost their ability to understand what's good from what's evil. Wow. Jonah chapter 3, verse 11. Same with America, Terry. In America, we've lost our, most people have lost their ability to understand what is good and what is evil. In other words, we can't discern the clean from the unclean. And this is why we need, uh, as Catholics, we need to proclaim the Catholic gospel. And we need to teach people how to become holy or die trying. Amen. Amen. Jesse, well said. And again, when we come back from the break, Jess, you got this article from Crisis Magazine. I want to recommend people to start reading articles from Crisis Magazine if you're not already doing it. Uh, this is a, a very interesting article. Um, it says, Rome, we have a problem. The traditional Latin mass held at the U.S. Capitol last week was a Jericho Walls crumbling moment. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, we're going to get into that and much, much more. And again, uh, I have to tell everybody, Jesse, that the Spiritual Warfare Conference is sold out. People can still not miss a word by getting streaming rights by just going to vmpr.org to get that, uh, to, to subscribe and get that access to uh, watching the show, watching the Spiritual Warfare Conference coming up next month because that's the only way they're going to be able to see it now that all the tickets are sold. Uh, also, I want to re remind everybody that if they become a monthly donor at $25 a month, we've been losing, I think I've had like 10 people in the last month because of loss of job. We need to get some of those folks back in. We're back, Jesse. Terry and Jesse. Wow, Jess, this article from Crisis Magazine. I know we mentioned last week that there was a Latin mass held at the Capitol, but let's let's talk about what, what that really is. How significant is that, Jess? I don't think I've got Jesse back on, Mr. Engineer. All right. 
Well, the traditional Latin Mass, as I said, was held at the U.S. Capitol last week. Okay? If there was ever an emergency message to Rome, it's this, he says in the article. It might have been that SOS a year ago as some bishops witnessed large numbers of other bishops urging their pastoral canonical privilege to bypass the iron-fisted prescriptions of traditio custodius, which is certainly the frightened alert in light of the extraordinary form of the Mass held at the U.S. Capitol. Let me know when Jesse's back on. Okay. I'm back on, Terry. Okay, Jess, I just started the article regarding... Yeah, uh, yeah go ahead. I see it. Mass. Okay. Yeah. You go ahead. So it says here, um, but it is certainly the fright and alert in light of the extraordinary form mass held at the U.S. Capitol last Tuesday. It was a Jericho walls crumbling moment. <laughs> this time it was not Jewish priests and Israelites circling the city and blowing their horns, but Catholics worldwide storming heaven. Or a parallel more recent, the cracking of the Berlin Wall by East Germans. But this time by passionate Catholic millennials who will not let the mass of the ages become a fossil of past ages. Its significance cannot be overemphasized. This extraordinary mass was celebrated, here it is, at the request of the Speaker of the House, Evangelical Protestant Mike Johnson, mm -hmm. in an archdiocese that has witnessed the near abrogation of all traditional masses. The irony could not have been sweeter. Mr. Mike Johnson intended the mass to mark the anniversary of the FBI's investigation of traditional masses as potential nests of domestic terrorism. Give me a break. The, yeah. the House property investigated this enormity with the interrogation of its director, Mr. Ray, at an open congressional hearing. For all his wriggling, he wasn't able to escape blame for the shocking activity of his agents. Want to pick it up from there, Terry? Sure, the mass was originally intended for Speaker's small dinner room until he discovered that the request for attendance exceeded its capacity. Good problem to have. It was then moved to a larger meeting room down the hall from the Speaker's office. A team of young Catholic men and women, I love this, from various House Senate offices eagerly offered their assistance in organizing the event. But the mere organization, it's an underestimate, understatement. They went to work with the excitement and passion of men on a mission, much on the account of the anniversary. But because the extraordinary form of the Mass is being celebrated, the organizers enlisted the help of a priest known only to them to protect him from punitive action. Can you imagine? What are we living back in the time of... Uh, you know, in England in the 15th century where you, yeah. you're going to get p penalized for saying mass? Give me a break. The whole affair was, wow. a, it was, I know, executed with military precision and attention to detail. Jess, continue. It captured the attention of the world. No sooner was the makeshift chapel disassembled that the Catholic press roared into action. First, the usual traditional online news organizations, then others. Most intriguing was reportage of America Magazine, the Jesuit capital of record for the avant-garde Catholic left. Mm -hmm. Their headlines scream, quote, illicit. Illicit, illicit Latin mass held in the U.S. Capitol, close quote. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, this was rich. Interesting that the new and improved society of Jesus would employ the dated word illicit. After all, their star theologians long banned that term from the theological language of the of the uh, bien, bien passant, which means orthodox. This is the same society of Jesuits which prescribed anachronisms such as moral absolutes ages ago, <laughs> except, of course, the new moral absolutes of the woke left. <laughs> this is the religious society whose sprawling university college apparatus has become the humming factory of anti-Catholic Catholicism long ago. This ever-so-modern Jesuit society raised the flag of laissez-faire, which means indifference. Uh, yet, yet here, they were with the fury of Pur Puritans hanging the scarlet letter round the neck of Hester Prime. What might be next for the, for the terribly Al-Quran society? A new iteration of the Salem witch, witch trials? <laughs> but why... Would there be alarm in some chanceries? Because this was not the trajectory planned by the foes of the traditional mass. After six years of the conventional Nova sort of wisdom, its votaries were certain that the traditional mass would by this time long be forgotten. They were quite certain their efforts over the past half century or so would have secured its place on the ash heap of history. It would go the way of meatless Fridays, sacred heart devotions, novenas, and mortal sin. <laughs> But they did not plan on a youth revolution catapulting the traditional mass into full view again. So yeah, Terry, about this new youth revolution, yeah. there's even a website it's called massoftheages.com. Not, yeah. Terry, these guys are all a bunch of young guys. That's right. There's not there's not one guy over 35 that's part of that apostolate. And these guys are day and night trying to push the Latin mass. And they're putting out some very good videos, by the way. Well, let me just bypass and say something in France. 50% of the mass scores in the entire country of France go to the traditional Latin mass. Now, why is that? Because no one's going to church except people who are very devout. And this is uh, happening all over the world. I'm convinced, Jesse, that it's going to be a matter of time that the church is going to look back and go, this was this implementation of Vatican II is a mess. Uh, the documents say we're supposed to have a Latin mass. If they would have just kept the document and read it and, and used it where we are not facing, uh, the priest isn't facing us, we're doing ad orientum masses, just implement the document. A lot of this nonsense that's going on in the liturgy wouldn't even appear because it wouldn't matter because... We're, we, we are using a sacred language. We're not looking at the priest. The priest is directing our prayers towards God. They really messed this up from a perspective of a layman, and it can, it can still be resolved, but I'm just hoping and praying that we have people in the church who have their eyes open to see that it's been devastating, the implementation of the Vatican II Mass, the way it's been implemented. We got very few people who believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, and we're under 20% of the people in America who even show up for Mass. There's something wrong. When I say, you know, we got a problem, Scotty, we got a problem. Jesse. Terry, Terry, if, 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 the, if the board of directors or the CEOs, like say at Lockheed or oh, Boeing, yeah, yeah. If, if they were selling, let's just say, you know, 70,000 widgets right. before 19, 75,000 widgets a year before 1975, yeah. 65. And after 1965, they're now selling like 15,000 widgets. Yeah. All of them would be fired. All the board of directors would be let go. That's right. 
And that's what should happen to the vast majority of the U.S. bishops and bishops around the world. They should be fired and replaced because they've done a horrible job in the last 60 years, as admitted to by Cardinal Dolan himself from New York, a man who said, I've never preached about humane vitae in 40 years, all my priestly and, life. And Jesse, through the 2,000-year history, we've had times where bishops and popes have had to clean house. And they go in and they say, okay, getting a new slate. Everybody, you lost your job. We're, we're putting in new bishops. We're putting in new pastors. Everybody, you guys did a terrible job. We're, we're, we're firing you. And I believe that that can happen again with our prayers. Yes, amen. Two historical accidents contributed to this revolution, a pandemic virus and traditionis custodis. <laughs> when COVID struck and the churches closed, Catholics eager for mass turned to the internet. As search engines purred, tens of thousands... Tens of thousands stumbled upon this strange traditional Latin mass, hitherto unknown to them. They found its transcendence, beauty, and palpable mystery infectious. Mm. They began their own investigation into its origins. Their inquiry opened new horizons, suggested a host of questions, and created an irresistible hunger. Not lost on them was Pope Benedict's Samorum Pontificum when he shook the very foundations of conventional liturgical praxis over a half century. What earlier generations held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too. And it cannot and it cannot be all of a sudden entirely forbidden for even con, or even considered harmful. It behooves all of us to preserve the riches which have developed in the church's faith and prayer and to give them their proper place. Those are the words of Pope Benedict XVI, well by the said, way. Well said. As the pandemic subsided and churches unlocked their doors, the available traditional masses swelled. At last, a religion for grown-ups. Similarly, the promulgation of Traditionis Custodis, many a curious Catholic wonder what this prescribed rite of mass could possibly be. What kind of malice did it carry to deserve <laughs> such a universal condemnation? Its evil must be unprecedented. This banned mass must embody a fearful danger to soul to earn immediate suppression like some cancer spreading on the mystical body of Christ. What other conclusion can be drawn? After all, the papacy, rolling out its most brutal sanctions against it, boasted its non-judgmentalism, going to the peripheries, toleration of practices never before countenanced by the church for the sake of accompaniment and affection for creating messes. It was developing new paradigms like contextual theology that would make condemnations a thing of an embarrassing medieval past. Must, mustn't a thousand flowers bloom for such a papacy to act so out of character had to mean that they were confronting a malignancy beyond words. One could almost hear the wailing of Voltaire when he says, crush that infamous thing. Yeah. Otherwise, why such a draconian, severe censure? What was this tantalizing and paralleled new wickedness? Curiosity was piqued to the Internet for answers. As the eyes of millennials fell upon the illicit practice, they were stumped. This outlawed mass seemed to pique them to God to speak to them of God, of God, his mysteries and his love. Mm -hmm. It bespoke a solemnity that fed their starved hearts. It presented an ordered economy of truths whose power they could not resist. This is wickedness? This is deserving of the stamp of illicity? Young minds vowed to dig more deeply. They saw themselves as 21st century Columbuses searching for a new world. <laughs> Even within the claustrophobic boundaries of traditionis custodies, they will discover the treasure and found themselves transformed this was not wickedness. This was heaven. Officialdom grimaced 
theologians penned diatribes, liturgists, liturgists, liturgists growled, Rome, we have a problem. You could almost hear the frightened chancery, you know, apparatchiks, that's, that's the communist members, and approved knowledge class. Something is afoot that never should have been. Decades of settled reformed liturgy appeared at risk. Liturgical, you know, firm dirt was shaking beneath their feet. More than a half century of liturgical scholarship was slipping from their hands. No worry. After all, the numbers crowding these masses were minuscule compared to the general population. Yet this furnished scant consolation for these Latin masses, seemingly insignificant in numbers, was a passion, a devotion, and a commitment that was inexplicable. I love it. The more they persecute it, the more it'll grow. That's my take. Stay with us, Jeff. We'll be right back with more on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. Jess, let's get a plug for your men's group. You got a men's conference. You're going to be in North, North Carolina or South? Yeah, it's 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 a Saturday night, North Carolina, uh, Charleston, North Carolina. Saturday, night. Saturday. It's uh, St. Thomas Aquinas Church. Uh, there's a men, yeah. I'll be giving a talk Saturday yes. evening over there, and also next week over in West Texas, the men's conference as well over there in West Texas. Awesome. So. Terry, let me uh, let, let, let's uh, talk about eight facts about atheists, and I'll tell you why this is important. Yeah, it's because the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us in paragraph twenty one twenty three that the biggest problem that we have right now in the world, in, in post Vatican II, yeah, is atheism. Right. Yeah, that's that's the church's teaching. And, and, that's the big that, and because yeah, go ahead. And Jesse, you wrote a book on that. It's on your website, jesseromero.com. Can you give us the title so people can actually pick that little up, that book up? Yeah, it's called, my book on atheism is called uh, 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 Atheism, the Opiate of the, of the Elites. That's the it. Opiate of the Elites. In other words, I took from uh, that famous atheist who said uh, that religion is the opiate of the masses. Right. About religion. Uh, so atheism is the opium, the opium drug of the, of the elites. And so this article talks about Eight facts about atheists mm-hmm. that I think are uh, they're, they're rather important. Number one, it says atheists make up about four percent of the U.S. population. Uh, back in a 2023 National Public Opinion Survey, and that compares with three percent who describe themselves as atheists in 2014, and two percent who described themselves as such back in 2007. So you see, it's, it, it keeps ticking up, Terry. Yeah, and not only that, not just the United States, Spain, 10%, France, 23%, yeah. the UK, 12%, Sweden, 18%. Uh, very interesting. Italy, even 8%. Yeah, yep. Amazing. So, yep. So almost all mm-hmm. U.S. atheists, 98% say religion, is not too or not at all important in their lives, according to the same summer 2023 survey, an identical share say they seldom or never pray. At the same time, 79% of American atheists say they feel a deep sense of wonder about the universe at least several times a year, and 36% feel a deep sense of spiritual peace and well-being at least that often. U.S. atheists and religiously affiliated Americans find meaning in their lives in some in some of the ways, uh, in 2017, a survey said we asked an open-ended question about this. 
Like a majority of Americans, most atheists mentioned family as a source of meaning. However, atheists, 26%, were far more likely than Christians, 10%, to describe their hobbies as meaningful or satisfying. Atheists were also more likely than Americans overall to describe finances and money, creative pursuits, travel, and leisure activities as meaningful. Very few atheists, 4%, they found life they found life's meaning in spirituality. You know, Harry? yes, Jesse, this article doesn't talk about it, but we had Father Spitzer on a couple days ago talking yeah. about the levels of love and level of happy, happiness. And it's pretty obvious that people who believe in God and practice their religion are much happier than those who don't. And I would say, and because I don't have it in this article, but I've read statistically that atheists are one of the most unhappy people. And also, they have a very high percentage of suicide rates with atheists. Because if you think about it, Jesse, they have no hope, dude. They think this is yeah. it. And that's depressing. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, point next, next point. Uh, atheists make up a larger share of the population in many Western countries than yeah. in the U.S. That's true. Uh, yeah, you already you already read that one. Yeah, all that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. amazing. They're much higher than the U.S. You know, for what we say, America is a very religious country yes. compared to yes. other countries. And you know why, Jesse? I'm going to give you my take. It's not in the article. But you see, mm -hmm. our Constitution says this, that our rights come from God. Yes. What other yeah. constitution or government says that? I don't know of one other one that says that, Jess. I know Mexico has a complete socialist constitution. There's no mention of God. Everything's all about the state. Yeah. And yeah. Mexico's a Catholic country, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Point number five, it says, most U.S. atheists express concern about the role religion plays in society. <clears throat> An overwhelmingly majority yeah. of atheists, 94%, say that they that the statement religion causes division and intolerance describes their views a great deal or a fair amount. According to our summer 2023 survey, and 91% say the same thing about the statement, religion encourages superstition and illogical thinking. Nearly three quarters, 73% say religion does more harm than good in an American society. Num number six is interesting, yeah. Jesse. Atheists yeah. may not believe religious teachings, but they are quite informed about religion. In mm. our 2019 religious knowledge survey, atheists were among the best performing groups on an average. Wow. They answered about 18 out of 32 fact-based questions correctly. While U.S. adults overall got roughly 14 questions right, in particular, atheists were twice as likely as Americans overall to know that the U.S. Constitution says no religious test is necessary to hold public office. Atheists were also at least as knowledgeable as Christians on Christian-related questions. For example, roughly 8 in 10 in both groups knew that Easter commemorates the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. Number seven, most Americans don't think believing in God is necessary to be a good person. According to the summer 2023 survey, when we asked people which statement came closer to their views, 73% selected, it is possible to be moral and have good values without believing in God. While 25% picked, it is necessary to believe in God in order to be moral and have good values. Adults in some of their wealthy countries tend to agree with the sentiment based on responses to a similar question we asked in 2019 and 2022. For example, 9 in 10 Swedish adults say belief in God is not necessary to be moral and have good values. 
Well, 85% in Australia, 80% in, in the Czech Republic, and 77% in France say, say this. However, fewer than one in 10 adults in some other countries surveyed say that a person can be moral without believing in God. That includes 5% of adults in Kenya, 4% in the Philippines, and 2% in Indonesia. In all three nations, more than 9 in 10 say instead that a person must believe in God to be a moral person. That's very interesting, the, the contrast. Yeah. Okay, number yeah, eight, right. about three-quarters of U.S. atheists, that's like 77%, do not believe in God or a higher power or in a spiritual force of any kind. According to our summer 2023 survey, at the same time, 23% say they do believe in a higher power of some kind, though fewer than 1% of U.S. atheists say they believe in God as described in the Bible. Uh, you know, this shows that not all self-described atheists fit the literal definition of an atheist, which is a person who does not believe in the existence of God or any other God. Jess, let's make a distinction between agnostics and atheists. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, the the word atheist it, it it means no god, atheism. It means no god. You know, th there is no god. Agnostic is somebody who's not sure. The 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 jury's still out. They haven't rendered a verdict yet. So, uh, I I think more people are. I think it's fair to say more people would be more agnostic than atheist. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, because to say that most people are willing to say there is no god. Although I have run across a few. And probably in the last 10 years, I've had two long conversations with two scientists, one on a Delta flight and then one of, 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 at a dinner in Baltimore, Maryland a few months ago. That's a good one. Yeah. Two atheist scientists I spoke with, uh, you know, and we had long conversations on, on the existence of God. And here's basically what I do just to cast doubt in these scientists. And I just give them points good. that they've never, that they never heard. So let me give you Jesse Romero's 10 points yeah. to talk to a scientist. From, it's basically from my book. But here's 10 things that I bring up to scientists, atheists, and uh, it, it gives them an intellectual charlie horse. The first thing I say is this, okay? I say, okay, evolution. So who gave us the theory of evolution? They go, Charles Darwin, Jesse. I said, well, did you know that Charles Darwin, in his autobiography on page 93, he says he's a theist. They go, what? Yeah, I can read it to you. Charles Darwin, his auto, that means he wrote it, his life story. Page 90, the bottom of page 92 and the top of page 93, he calls himself a theist. What does that mean? Somebody who believes in God. Okay. So I said, so your 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 church father, Charles Darwin, believed in God. He wasn't an atheist. The second thing I tell him, you guys believe in this myth about the world is overcrowded? I said, I could show you uh, credible academic doctors and sociologists mm -hmm. and websites that show that uh, all... All seven to eight billion people on planet Earth could fit in the state of Texas, and everybody has about a thousand square feet to, to each person in the state of Texas. Also, another thing I share with scientists, I say, well, you think I guess Christianity, it's stupid. It's for, you know, re retards, right? I said, well, uh, science is, is, a, is a discipline that was given to us by the Catholic Church. It came from Catholic men like John Buridan. Nicole Orismi, Roger Bacon. These are the founders of modern science. These are Catholic men. Uh, and the majority of these, these, these scientists, a lot of them were Catholic priests in the Middle Ages. Uh, here's something else I throw at atheists. They don't know. The Catholic Church gave us the university system. 
Catholic Church gave us the field of science. Catholic Church uh, built the first observatory. Catholic Church built the first telescope. Catholic Church built the first microscope. Here's another thing I throw at scientists. I said, you know that Adam and Eve story that you guys say, you guys are crazy. You guys believe in that Adam and Eve story? Guess what? Academic studies within about the last 10 years, respected scientists and universities all over the world are saying that as a result of DNA testing, the entire human race comes from an original set of parents. Ah, wow. The Adam and Eve story looks like all of a sudden, here's another thing I throw at atheists when I have a conversation with them. Big Bang Theory, I said, who came up with that? It was a Catholic priest. Father Georges Lemaitre, he was a, a priest from Belgium. He was a priest and a scientist. He's the one that coined the, ter the term Big Bang Theory. And the last thing I throw at scientists when I have a conversation with them, I said, do you know that the, the world's most famous atheist, Dr. Gerald Schroeder, he was a world-class scientist. He converted a few years ago uh, to the Catholic faith. And this, this made international news because he was a world-class scientist and he converted in 2004 to the Catholic faith. When we come back, let's finish that thought because it's important. And then we're going to talk about the first five Saturday devotion. What's that all about in reparation? You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. You know, Jess, every time you talk about uh, atheism and dialoguing with these guys, the stories we've heard over the years are just always outstanding because it appears that a lot of these atheists have not really had any arguments of serious no, arguments against exactly. them. And they're like stunned when they run into somebody who's like, hey, dude, did you know this? Did you know that? And they're like, wait, 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 time out. So continue just for a few more minutes on that, and then we'll get into the first five. Yeah, here, here's my uh, yeah. nuclear Here's my nuclear bomb yeah. I, I, share, I share with atheists, right. scientists. And I'll tell you, it, it, can you imagine if somebody would like tell you, Terry, you're a Catholic. You've been a Catholic all your life. Did you know that Cardinal Ratzinger or Pope John Paul II, you know, or Cardinal Seurat mm -hmm. is now an atheist? I mean, it would devastate you. Of course. You're like, what are you? Well, we we have that weapon against them. Okay. There's a, a very famous atheist, well-known in the world of atheism, called Professor Anthony Flew. He was regarded as the top atheist in the world for the last 50 years well in 2004 he converted to the catholic faith Incredible. what happened okay what happened this guy would he would lecture from one college to another for 50 years and write books against god uh and he was a very successful lecturer and uh from going from one university to another well he ran across two other atheists one was a, a practicing catholic dr gerald schroeder and another one was a practicing Jew, Dr. Uh, uh, Schroeder was a, a Jew, and Dr. Roy Vergesi was a Catholic. So all three of them were working together on this project. It was Dr. Professor Anthony Flew, the famous atheist for 50 years. It was his relationship and his conversations with Dr. Schroeder, a, a Jew, a Jewish believer, and Dr. Roy Vergesi, uh, a Catholic-believing scientist, they, they would get in this high-level conversations, and, and, and Dr. Anthony Flew, the famous atheist, he finally succumbed to the weight 
of scientific, uh, you know, uh, proof uh, that points towards the existence of God. And so he converted in December 2004 to the Catholic faith after 50 years, Terry, 50 years of, of going from one university to another yeah. and, 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 and preaching the atheist gospel. Uh, and, and, and here's what he said. Here's the reason he converted in this one line. Dr. Professor Anthony Flew said this. The latest biological research has shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life that intelligence must have been involved. Yeah. He, he says the scientific evidence points to an integrated complexity in the biological world that requires intelligence. And he says, my whole life has been guided by the principle of Socrates, follow the evidence wherever it leads. Wow, wow. So Terry, when, when I share that with atheist scientists, they're like, yeah. oh man, Jesse Romero knows about this guy and he just threw it in our face. Because they, they they hope in conversations that you don't know about Dr. Anthony Flew, but I do. <laughs> and it's and it's in my book. So when people read it, they'll have those arguments down. And they can go to jesseromero.com to get that book, folks. All right, yes, Jess, sir. are you ready for the first five Saturday devotion, brother? You got it. All right, let's talk about it because this is honoring the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This devotion originated from the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima in 1917, where she appeared to three young Portuguese children, Lucia, Santos, and their cousin, Jacinta, and Francisco Marto. During her apparitions, Mary asked the children to pray the rosary and to make sacrifices for sinners. She also requested that the children offer devotion on the first Saturday of five consecutive months. And here it is in reparation for the sins against her Immaculate Heart. This yeah. practice became known as the first five Saturdays devotion. Just remember, we close out every show here on VMPR with Terry and Jesse saying that souls are, she says, our souls are going to hell because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. See, this devotion to Our Lady of Fatima, we need to implement it because today the culture right now doesn't understand because it hasn't been taught what reparation is and atonement. And this is just part of our Catholic faith. Yeah, Terry, before we go into the, the first five Saturdays and what's what's required, yeah, sure. let me just give a little definition of atonement yeah. uh, and reparation. Absolutely. Because people hear that word, yeah. So let me go to the catechism of the Catholic Church and look up, let's see what it says about reparation. Paragraph 614, CCC 614. It says this, quote, reparation, making amends for a wrong done or an offense, especially for sin, which is an offense against God. By his death on the cross, the Son of God offered his life out of love for the Father to make reparation for our sinful disobedience. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 24-1-2, it says, quote, We are obliged to make reparation for personal sins against injustice and truth either through restitution of stolen goods or correcting the harm done to the other's goods name. Now, it, the, the word reparation, it's a theological term. It's not found in the New Testament, but it definitely is, is it, it comes from, 
anytime you see like the word satisfaction, mm -hmm. satisfaction in the New Testament is a synonym for reparation. It means the same thing. Okay. So, but the word that's used in the Bible is satisfaction. The word used in theology or in catechesis is reparation. It means the same thing. The Catholic Church says both are synonyms. And when you look at Father John Hardin's Catholic Dictionary, this is how he summarizes reparation. He says this, quote, the act of fact of making amends. It implies an attempt to restore things to their normal conditions as before they were as as before they were before something went wrong was done it applies mainly to recompense for the losses sustained or the harm caused by some morally bad action with respect to god it means making up with greater love for the failure in love through sin it means restoring what was unjustly taken and compensating with generosity for the selfishness that caused that injury terry well said okay so what are these uh, you know, what, what do we need to do? How to practice these five first devo Saturday devotions? On the first Saturday of each month, here's what we do. Go to confession. This confession can be made within eight days before or after the first Saturday. Number two, receive Holy Communion. This must be done with the intention of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Number three, we do it here at our chapel every Saturday, every first Saturday, Pray the five decades of the rosary. The rosary is prayed in a church or an oratory, if possible. And this is one that people forget, Jess. I've always noticed this. Keep Mary company yeah, yeah. for 15 minutes. This is done by meditating on the mysteries of the rosary and are offering prayers to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So I always like to tell people, make a special intention. It should be offered in reparation and made for the atonement for sins against Mary's Immaculate Heart. Uh, the promise associated with this devotion is those who practice it will be given at the hour of their death mm. the graces necessary for salvation. Jesse, sign me up. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. powerful. Your thoughts. Yeah, the first five Saturday devotions spreads a profound dedication and mm. honor towards the Mother of God. Amen. And it's a powerful way to gain graces through Mary's intercession. Yep. While making amends for blasphemy and indifference towards her. Jesse, let's go back a minute here. This is 19, uh, you know, the turn of 1917. I mean, this is way long ago. And we think about reparation to her immaculate heart. Look what's happened in the last hundred years on pornography, on mm. evil in life. It's only gotten worse. So this idea that we don't make need to have this reparation being made, that, that we just don't have our lights turned on because... The world right now is in a heap of trouble, and Our Lady's peace plan for peace in the world is being implemented here at Fatima, and I think we need to heed her words. Yeah, uh, again, as, as uh, there's four words that are used in, in the Bible kind of as synonyms. You okay. got reparation. Yeah. That's a theological term. Okay. Then you have the biblical term, satisfaction, which means the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and what's... What's the result of making reparation and satisfaction? The result is another related word is you're reconciled to God or you're reconciling all things to God. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, and also another related word to reparation and reparation is ransom, ransom. As it says in the Bible, in Matthew 20, 28, even as a son of man is not come to be ministered unto, but to minister 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate reparation on the cross. And I love what Dr. Scott Hahn has been saying for 30 years. He says, Jesus Christ paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owe a debt that we can't pay. Well, guess what? St. Paul allows us to participate, or Jesus allows us to participate in this perfect satisfaction that he that he performed on Calvary. And we call that reparation. We call that satisfaction. St. Paul talks about that in Colossians 1.24. All we have to do is intentionally unite our prayers, our pains, our sufferings to the cross of Christ with, with intentionality. And God will take our sufferings and he will use our sufferings. God takes our sufferings and he converts it on the cross like a catalytic converter. <laughs> and he and, and he unleashes he, he turns your sufferings into graces and blessings, and he pours them upon other people in the mystical body of Christ that are in need of blessings and, of, of blessings and graces and conversion. And if you're looking for a scripture verse that supports this idea of reparation, atonement, Colossians chapter 1 says, I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the good of the church. So what we can do is unite our sufferings with the sufferings of Christ on the cross and have meritorious blessings for our family and our friends and for the world. So every action becomes like a blank check. And this is a beautiful teaching. I know Protestants, even Dr. Hahn, when he read that verse on Colossians, it made no sense to him. Once he got his Catholic uh, cap on, he went, wow, that blows me away. I can I can make reparation for sins, uniting it with Jesus on the cross. Yes, what state should we be living in, brother? Let's live in a state of sanctifying grace. Do not live in a state of mortal sin. And remember, make reparation for the sins and insults against the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. And you can do so every single day. And remember what I said. Our Lady said it at Fatima. Souls are going to hell because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. My brother Jesse and his wife traveled halfway across the country, all the way to the cross. And they're going to give some talks on the faith. That in itself is reparation because they could have stayed oh, yeah. home in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. No, this is what we need to be doing. Spread the gospel. This time is short and eternity is forever. Thanks again for supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. May God richly bless you and your family. God love you.